0: Your religion is full of nail holes. You have the nail holes that were left at the time your religion was born. Nail holes left in a cross. They took our blessed Lord and they stretched him on an ugly cross. And they drove nails through his hands and feet and reared that heavy cross against the sky until all on it dropped with a thud. And in that hot midday sun, he died. And at the moment of his death, your religion was born. I don't know how it happened. I don't know what was accomplished by his death that made all the difference. There are some who say that he took our place on a cross where we rightfully should have been. There are others who say that he took our sins took them out of our lives and saturated them into himself so that by dying, he was able to forgive any sin that we might ever commit. Others say that it was a bargain, that he was offered by God as a ransom so that we would be freed from the tentacles of sin. And there are many who say that his death was a revelation of love so powerful that that within itself was the reconciling force. I don't know what happened. I only know that it works. And with his death, your religion was born. After almost 1,500 years, that which was so beautifully conceived had become stained and warped, hardly bore any resemblance to that which it was in the beginning. After 1,500 years, religion placed in the hands of those who were his followers began to be shaped according to the will and the desire of people not God. After 1,500 years, he was back on the cross again, put there because we were taking away from the world that which he had brought into the world. He said, I have come to set the captives free, to give you freedom. No time in history was there greater slavery Denial of freedom than in those years of serfdom When the church took a place of authority over the people of the land and subjected them to dire poverty draining from them for its own wealth A parable tells of two priests during this time in history who were going into the beautiful cathedral in Rome as they walked into that building surrounded by the art treasures, the gold, the silver, the fine silks. One turned to the other and said, we can't say silver and gold have I none. And the other responded, neither can we say stand up and walk. The power had been drained out of the message, and in its place there had been fabricated that which held the people in spiritual chains. Christ came to give the word of life, to give truth. I am the truth. And it had been held from those who desired to know the truth. The Bible was translated only into Latin, the language of the intellectual, the powerful. And for those who needed it most, there were no words to be read. It was as though the Bible might never have come into existence. And when there were those pioneers who looked into the possibility of taking the word and making it a part of the life of those who needed it most, they were martyred for their aims. John Wycliffe translated it into English so that the people who could read would be able to read the scriptures. He died of a stroke, but he was found guilty of blasphemy. He was excommunicated, and his body was exhumed and burned and the ashes thrown to the sea. And John Huss, who followed in his wake, took hold of those discoveries that Wycliffe had made He tried to reinterpret to give life to the people and he too was excommunicated and he was burned at the stake The word Came into the world And was kept from those who needed it most When Jesus died there were those about him who found God only through the sacrifice in the temple, through the prayers of the priests. And Jesus did away with all that, made entry into God's presence possible for each of us. But after 1,500 years, that was no longer the truth. And the only way that God could be approached was by through intermediaries. Christ revealed that the law which was so stiff had been broken He brought grace Means by which we could be relieved of all the guilt of all that we had done So that the weight of our sins would no longer press upon us But we could be rid of them all simply through the love the grace of God But by now, the people who desired to follow after Christ were under such a heavy burden of law. Guilt was a part of their lives. And in order to be rid of their guilt, in order to be free of their sins, they were given opportunity to give all of their material wealth. And so, there were those who traveled throughout the land selling indulgences promises that if you will give me money, the good deed of the saints will be released to free you from your guilt. And the people took their life savings and they bought indulgences in order to free those who had died, in order to rid themselves of their guilt and their sins so that they might have the love of God. And the oppression of the people was so heavy that which was meant to be wings had become a great weight. It was at this time, 1,500 years after the freedom of a new religion had come into the world, that a swarthy monk living in the village of Wittenberg in Germany, on an October's evening as a full moon hung over that city, giving a slight luminescence to those brilliant gold and bronze trees of autumn that he strode up through the crisp night air, laid a parchment against the heavy oak doors of the Wittenberg College Church. And with his hammer, he drove nails into those heavy doors of his arguments against what the church had become as opposed to what the church was meant to be. Your religion has the nail holes of that moment of rebirth when the affirmations of Christ became real once more and the heavy burdens that had been imposed upon the people had been caused to fall away. It didn't come easy. There had been many who had sincerely struggled to find their way back to that place of beginning, but they tripped over the barricades that had been set up by those who purportedly loved Christ until a law student named Martin Luther had such a hungering in his soul that he set out on that pilgrimage. He sought every means of reconciliation of himself to God that he knew possible. He took the vow of poverty and denied himself a pleasant materialistic life. That not being enough, he flailed his body with a whip in order to break down the strength of his body so that the strength of his soul might increase. He went to the relics of the church and he kissed them, he pressed his lips against those holy things with a prayer upon his lips, that through that he might know God's love. Nothing came. He was as far from God as he had ever been in the beginning. He trembled when he thought of God's wrath and of the guilt of his heart. And one day, seated in his library as he prepared a lecture from Paul's letter he discovered the great truth that the church had blotted out. We are not reconciled to God through our works, we are reconciled to God through our faith. And it is God's grace that works the miracle. He rose to his feet, he shouted with a new understanding, he strode from that place to pronounce to the world, Christ is alive. And he's calling us to fall in step with him. We are not forced in separation, but we have the privilege of standing in his presence and being accepted by God just like we are. We don't have to pay any price. We just have to accept. And with that, the church was born with a new energy, a new enthusiasm, so that it spread throughout all the world and became a new vital force all over again. Your religion bears the nail holes of its being reborn on that October's day of 1517. But we're living four and a half centuries from that date. On the night that Martin Luther nailed the theses to the church door, the world was just coming out of the dark ages, filled with superstitions, frightened of the things that occupied the darkness of the night and the spirits that hovered by day. The great cathedrals of Europe hold the gargoyles in view. Those were created to scare away the evil spirits from the holy places. We live in a scientific age. We don't need our gargoyles. We are on the edge of discovery of that which has been hidden from the minds of all humanity until the present time. And the church, which represents that which the world is, is struggling for its existence. We need a new reformation. We need a new birth, a rebirth in our century. We are living at a time in which our faith bears the weakest witness in the world than any time since its inception. Most people just don't care. We put him back on the cross again, this time by his friends, and the cross is erected on a movie screen in a theater where he is Projected for all the world to see as a weak sniveling example of humanity one who never knew what course he was to follow one who leaned heavily upon his betrayer One who lived each day with lust in his heart who pretended that he was righteous out of fear and not desire one who fantasized in the moments of his dying with sexual fantasies, and we have lifted that caricature of Christ for all the world to see, and there's no outcry. People don't care. What stature does the church have in the world? These are desperate days for the church. Never has she been richer in the possibilities, but weaker in the commitment of those who make her up. You see, the church is people and we are the church. I want to put nails in your hand this morning to challenge you to drive those nails deep in your religion as we add more nail holes to that we live by. I hand you the nail of loyalty. Jesus said, if you do not confess me before men, I will not confess you before my Father, which is in heaven. The demand for loyalty to Christ. We have divided loyalties, so many of us. Loyal to other things so that the church takes second, third, or fourth place in our lives. It isn't the primary emphasis of that which we live for and live by our loyalty so often is to other things. Early in the life of the church, before it was a century old, there was a bishop of Smyrna named Polycarp. It was a time of persecution. He was brought before the officials of the state, denouncing him for his Christian stance, demanding of him that he give his allegiance to Caesar and not Christ. He was given the alternative, stand by Christ and die. Affirm Caesar is your God and live. He was brought out into the great arena and he was surrounded by thousands of people as they stood and waited. In the middle of that arena, there was a stake. Sticks and brush lay at the foot of that stake, a rope nearby by which his hands would be lashed. And in one last charge, he was asked, renounce Christ and affirm Caesar, and you will walk out of this arena free. Polycarp stood tall, surveyed the crowds as they sat in the great arena. And then with a voice feebly conceived, but carrying long and far, he shouted, For eighty and six years, my Lord has never failed me I won't fail him now And he put his hands next to the stake for them to lash them tight And they lighted the sticks and his body was swept up in flames He was loyal and he was willing to die for that loyalty What is the depth of our loyalty to Christ? I give you the nail of obedience. Jesus said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. And Jesus spent the three years of his ministry teaching us how to obey God. The most beautiful treatise in all of literature is the Sermon on the Mount, and it's nothing more than telling us how to live, to be obedient to the very best. And yet, how prone we are to be obedient to our baser selves, not our better selves, to be obedient when Christ calls us uniquely in a way that we can do something for him. That we be obedient in carrying out his work as he said to those who gathered about his feet at the time of his annunciation, go into the world and be my disciples. Words spoken to you just as clearly as to those disciples when you took upon you the mantle of his love In the classic Ko the book ends with a scene where Peter is leaving Rome. The persecution has become so great and Peter flees for his own safety rather than taking a stand there for the faith that's faltering. As he passes through a forest outside of Rome, he sees a figure coming in the distance He steps aside to let the figure walk by, and he discovers as he comes closer that it's his own Lord. And he calls out to him, Lord, where are you going? And our Lord answered, I go to Rome, Peter, to be crucified again in your place. Obedience. I give you the nail of visibility to make visible to all the world that which you are in Christ's name to be my witnesses said Christ it is an obligation a responsibility that we all have Jesus said don't put your light under a bushel let it shine Let your light so shine that others can see your good works and Glorify your father who is in heaven When I was a senior at the University of Tennessee, I served a little church in downtown Knoxville It was down in the slums of the city and in that dirty little clapboard church Sunday after Sunday we came together And one Sunday, there were two little girls who were going to sing that Sunday morning. They had been to Bible school the week before, and they were going to sing. And they stood up there so proudly before that scattered few in the congregation. And throwing back their heads, they sang lustily, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it shine all through Lincoln Park. That's where they lived. I've wondered how those lights have glowed over those years, for it was just a fleeting moment in which that promised commitment came. I'm going to let my light shine. Harry Denman was a great man of the church. So often we reach back to the years in which he was active to find the example of discipleship Because so few since then have taken a place such as he occupied He filled his life with telling people about the love of God He didn't carry a watch He said if I don't have a watch I have to ask somebody what time of day it is and when I ask them what time of day it is That person has become my friend and I tell him about Christ He would go into places where Those persons who never entered the church were congregating together and in a way of sharing not preaching He told others about Christ He was the head of the Department of Evangelism for the Methodist Church But he wasn't a preacher He was a layman I met Harry Denman at General Conference in Pittsburgh and we stepped on the elevator together and he turned to me and my friend And he said have you got the good book in your pocket? Do we witness to others? What we have to share? Or do we keep it a secret? I give you the nail of enthusiasm. We who are a part of Christ ought to be so afire with enthusiasm that we can't contain it. We get excited at all other events that become a part of us. After a ball game, that's all we talk about for hours and days. But we never speak of our faith dewey strange does if all of us went out and told everyone we met what a wonderful church we are what beautiful music we hear what great people surround us and how we listen for God's Word to find strength for tomorrow's living We'd bring chairs into the aisle. But who do we tell? Does anyone have any way of knowing what you found here? Or do you forget it so quickly and get caught up in other things? Commitment demands enthusiasm. As on Pentecost, the disciples were so filled with the Holy Spirit that they couldn't contain themselves. And everybody who saw them said, they're drunken. How exciting it would be for us to be charged as a drunken congregation because of the joy that overflowed us at an early hour in the morning. These are the nails I put in your hand. Loyalty, obedience. Visibility, enthusiasm. And by now, you've discovered they spell love. And love is what holds it all together. When asked what is the greatest commandment, Jesus answered, Love God and love your neighbor. If we keep that commandment above all others, We'll need no more nails It will be strong and secure And now this Your religion is full of nail holes and each of those holes represents a person or event in history In the Middle Ages a monk announced that on that evening that he would preach on love The people gathered at dusk, came into that beautiful cathedral and waited. They sat there as the sun's rays flooded through those beautiful stained glass windows and then faded until the windows became black and they waited and the monk kept his seat. And when finally the cathedral was in total darkness, he rose and walked over to the altar, picked up a candle Walked over to the crucifix and lifted the candle and the light fell upon the hands and the feet and the side with the wound and the light felt upon the face of a man who had died and Then he extinguished the candle Greater love has no man than this That he laid down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I have told you to do.